Church, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Ben Hurt, and they let me be the pastor here. Uh, what a joy it is to gather together, opening up God's word. How many of you, like me, are afraid of policemen? Now, I don't mean like they're going to hurt you, but just you're just afraid. Like, you just get a little bit nervous when you see them. Anybody with me? <laughs> now, I don't know about you. That's me, man. I get scared every time. In fact, this week, uh, one of the rainy days, one of the rainy mornings, uh, I'm have my window open, and I see a cop pull into the, into the parking lot, and they're here all the time, but this is a little different, because he pulls like right under the overhang, and then a couple minutes later, another guy comes in and pulls under the other underhang, and I'm starting to think, okay, did we pay the church bills? <laughs> did, did, I, am I, did I do something wrong, and they, they tracked me to the office? I said, I said to Zach, hey, bro, like, is there anything you need to tell me about here? Like, and so after a couple of days, we bailed Zach out. No, I'm kidding. It was that. <laughs> there was nothing that happened. It was fine. They, they were just gathering under there, talking, and then they left. But I remember the last time I got pulled over. It was about 10 years ago. I'll never forget it. And we were in Illinois, living in Illinois at the time. And you know what happens. Like, you're driving. You see a cop car. What are the, what are, what's the first thing you do? Your eyes go immediately to the speedometer. How fast was I going? And then the next thing, you're like looking for a speed sign, right, a speed limit sign. What's the speed limit? And I'm like, oh, no, 35 is the speed limit, 48 is the speedometer. I'm in trouble. This cop comes by, and I know I'm in trouble. I'm at the road, or i got to turn. So I go up there and turn. I literally just stop on the side of the road because I, I know he's coming for me. And so lo and behold, he comes up, and I'm shaking. I, I, I get so nervous like because I, I, I don't like to break the law, even though I break the law every day by speeding. Uh, but, you know, I don't like getting caught breaking the law. How about that? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm like shaking, like, what's going to happen here? And I'm, I'm like so paranoid, like, I'm going to get arrested because I was going 12 over. You know, just ridiculous. Like, that would never happen. But, you know, so I'm freaking out. He comes up, and I'm starting to come up with excuses. Like, okay, maybe I could, I could claim ignorance. Well, officer, I had no idea how fast I was going. <laughs> That's usually the first question they ask, you know, how fast were you going? And I was thinking, well, maybe I could say, well, I, I had no idea what the speed limit was. Uh, I was just ignorant of the speed limit. But ultimately, he got up there. I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to cut to the chase here. Yes, officer, I was speeding. I know I was speeding. And just kind of repented right away. And to my astonishment, he, he let me go with, with just a warning. It was an amazing thing that happened. Well, we're going to look at the scriptures here. And what we're going to find out is Peter is acknowledging that the Jews were ignorant of a crime that they had committed. He understood that they did not realize that Jesus was the Messiah and they killed him. They were ignorant of that. However, they were still accountable. They were still guilty for what they had done. And they were accountable to God for their actions. And because of Christ's sufferings, they were called to repent of their sin even though they were ignorant of it, but in that repentance would come great promises. So we have an awesome passage this morning. So let's dive in together. Acts 3, starting in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer... He thus fulfilled, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. 
that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. Father, we we look at the Jews here who Peter is proclaiming is guilty. And sometimes we can get tripped up thinking, "I, I never would have done that. I wouldn't have done what they did to that man. But yet, Lord, it was the will of the Father to crush the Son because of our sin. Because of the sins that we would commit, even though this happened years and years, thousands of hundreds... 2,000 years ago, Lord, we are still guilty. Our sin placed Jesus on the cross. And we are called to repent. And Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see your word. Lord, that you would stir in our hearts, Lord. If there are areas of unrepentant sin, Lord, would you, would you move us? Would you help us to see that? If there are people here who have claimed Jesus their whole life, but there's no fruit and there's really been no repentance, would you open up their eyes? Would you grant them repentance? Lord, for those who are searching and know they're separated from you, God, would you move in such a way where they would see the ugliness of sin and see the beauty of Christ, and they would repent and follow you? God, would you move now through this message, through your word? It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So when it comes to all of humanity... We all have the same major problem. We all have the same major problem. We need to repent. We read about the suffering servant, right? Isaiah 53, servant that the people were not ready for. They were looking for somebody to come and reign right away. And yet, Jesus wasn't ready for that yet. There was a greater purpose that needed to, be take, to take place. Before a holy perfect, just, angry God, we must repent. We are guilty of sin, and he hates the sin in us. And because of it, we are separated from him. In Acts last week, we encountered Peter, who met a lame man who called for him. And Peter healed this man, who had been lame from birth, and suddenly He was able to walk, and he was leaping and jumping in the courts, and the people saw him. And it became an opportunity for Peter to share the gospel. And so due to their amazement and them gathering around Peter and this lame man, it provided the opportunity 
for him to preach. And really, what Peter did last week is he gave them a spanking. (laughs) He showed them they crucified the perfect Savior. They crucified the Messiah that they had been longing for. And they even had the opportunity for an out. Remember, Pilate said he's innocent. And he said it multiple times. Let's, let me release him back to you. His wife warned him, like, don't do this. I had a terrible dream because of this man. And yet the people said no. And instead of receiving the author of life, they kill the author of life and, re- and a let a, pr- a prisoner who was a murderer go free. And that brings us to this morning. And you can think of Peter as a salesman. He has shown that the product is irresistible. And now it's time for the sale. And the sale, of course, is for them to understand their desperate need to repent of their sin. And the same is true for all of us. We are all accountable for our sin. And so what we see here in the text this morning is this. The Bible eliminates our excuse of ignorance. The Bible eliminates our excuse of ignorance. Look at verse 17 again. And now, brothers, I I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. What's he saying here? He's acknowledging that the Jews didn't understand what they were doing. They they clearly didn't realize that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the one they'd been waiting for. They didn't know who it was, and so that's why they crucified him. They did it out of ignorance. They had no vision that the Messiah, the one who was worthy of all praise, how could he die by the way of a cursed man being hung on a tree? Their savior, at least in their minds, was one that would reign in power from the get-go, not be crucified. They missed Jesus. So does this mean that they would be able to get away with it? Like, well, you were ignorant of it. You know, like we look at a little kid and a little kid does something and sometimes we're like, well, he's just young and he doesn't understand it. Like, is that what Peter's trying to set him up? Like, oh, it's okay, guys. You killed Jesus. It's okay. You didn't realize who he was. It's, It's all good. Is that what's going on here? Was Peter about to give them an out? Well, very quickly we realize that's not the case at all. There's no excuse that they're going to have that they can hold on. What's the first word in verse 18? But. You were ignorant, but. What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled You know, as we have read earlier in the book of Acts about Peter, is he's going to go back to the the prophets of even the people. The writings that that they should have known, that they would have read, even they spoke of what would happen to Jesus. He's going back to the Word saying, guys, you may be ignorant and not knowing, but it's because you didn't know the Scriptures. You didn't go back to the Word. You didn't go back to the Word that God gave you. Your very own prophets spoke of these things. Ignorance is not going to fly here. Look at verse, you know, if you look at all this text, you probably notice the word prophet is spoken many times. In fact, we see it six times here in this book. And look at verse 21. Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. 
Verse 22 picks up and says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. That right there, what Moses said, is actually from Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19, where Moses is saying that when his prophet comes, you must listen or destruction will come. Is that not true for us? Jesus came. If we don't listen to Jesus, ultimately on the day of our death, we will be destroyed. We will be separated from his people if we don't repent. Moses spoke of Jesus thousands of years before then. Look at verse 24. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Who's Samuel? What's the significance of him? Why do they mention him? Well, Samuel was a transition. If you remember, uh, the, the rulers of Israel were judges. And then they transitioned because what did they ask of God? They noticed that all of the other nations had a king and were like, hey, we want a king. And what they were saying is like, God, we don't want you as our king. We want an earthly king, one that we can see with our eyes. And so they rejected God as their king and wanted man as their king. And so Samuel was the first major prophet recognized by the Jews of that transition from going from judges to kings. And so the prophets spoke for, from God to the people and often calling out the sins of the king. So Samuel was a big deal, but all these prophets, thousands of years before, spoke of the suffering Jesus, like we read in Isaiah 53. It was there for them to know for a long time. Ignorance would not keep them from judgment. Can you imagine if I went to that officer who pulled me over and I claimed ignorance of, well, I didn't, I mean, how, how am I supposed to know how fast I'm going? I'm supposed to keep my eyes on the road. Well, speed limit, we need more speed limits in here. There's hardly any speed limits. How am I supposed to know how fast to drive here? Like, we can get crazy like that, and we can do the same thing with God. Well, you know what, it's just, it's not that big of a deal. I didn't really know there was that part in that movie, and we can make all of these excuses. But just like the Jews, we are all guilty because of our sin. Ignorance is not something we can claim because Scripture clearly points it out. But even if Scripture, even if we didn't have the Scriptures, we read this in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their righteousness suppress the truth. So what do we do? The truth is out there. We push it down. We hide it because we don't want to hear it because we live for ourselves. For what can be known of God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Have you, like, heard the craziness in the world and how they try to justify things? I, watched, I remember watching part of this documentary where they tried to explain how the parting of the Red Sea could be a natural thing. Now, no kidding. They're like, well, yeah, this could happen and this could happen and they could, yeah, they could actually part on the Red Sea. Okay, so how then 
when the seas come back together, how could that dr- drown the Egyptians if, if that was the case? And how could they walk across on dry ground if that could naturally take place? And why would they be panicking if they could then see dry gra- enough time for the, for the ground to dry out to be able to cross over? And yet, we suppress the truth. Don't you look at so many things? I find it very impossible to look out and see creation and somehow, how could you not think there's a creator? Amen? When you look at the complexity of the human body, how can you not say there is a God? We are without excuse. It goes on to say this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We are without excuse. We can't claim ignorance. The scriptures are clear, too, for us to see, to get into. And the beauty of the scriptures is you can read the same book year after year after year. And year after year after year, you are continually amazed at what you see. And we learn more about who he is. Ignorance. We'll know, will not be an excuse. We are born enemies of God. We are darkened by our futile minds. And God's word clearly shows this is so. And we can even see it by observing creation. And ultimately, it leads us to this. Because Jesus suffered, we are called to repent. Because Jesus suffered, we are called to repent. We can't claim ignorance. We can't just get a pass on it. And Jesus suffered, and so therefore we are called to repent. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back. So, church, when we see it, therefore, what do we do? We see what it's there for, right? It's going back to something that has been previously said. And what was previously said is the fact that God foretold that something would happen, and that was fulfilled in Christ. He fulfilled that Jesus would suffer, it says in verse 18. And yet they crucified him. There was nothing they could say at the end of the day. And when you are guilty of something, what is the only appropriate response? Repent! Repent! Now, we've talked about this before. What exactly does it mean to repent? It means you're walking one direction. You're living one way. Repenting means you are turning and doing a 180, and you are walking a different direction. I like how John MacArthur defines it. He says repentance is this, a change of mind that leads to a change in behavior. A change of mind that leads into a change of behavior. See, Repentance is not saying I'm sorry. My kids say I'm sorry all day long, and then five minutes later they're doing the same thing over and over again. (laughs) Repentance is not saying I screwed up. Repentance is acknowledging the fact that I need to change my mind. This is wrong. This is against a guilty, this is against a perfect Savior, this sin. See, often our understanding of repentance is we feel sorry for the consequences we have to face because of our sin, right? We're not thinking about who we've offended. We're we're, we're like, oh, man, I got busted, and so now I need to repent. That's not repentance. Repentance is understanding I have sinned against the perfect God, 
And therefore, I am worthy of condemnation. I am worthy of hell. When we understand that truly, repentance then looks like I'm going to live differently now. There's going to be not only a change in my mind, there's going to be a change in the way I live my life. And for so many people, they've said, I love Jesus, I claim Jesus, and their life looks no different at all. That's you. If you said a prayer 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 5 years ago, and your life looks no different today than it did back then, you did not repent. You felt sorry. Judas felt sorry, but then he hung himself because he didn't repent. Repentance not only is a change of mind, it's not only acknowledging something is wrong, but it's then living your life in a different way. When John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, what was his message? Repent. And how do we come to Christ? It starts with repentance. Sadly, too many churches out there are giving you some kind of false gospel saying, hey, you want an easy life? You want a good life? You want things to go swimmingly for you? Come to Jesus. He'll, he'll give you your best life now. Did, that, was that Jesus' message? Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I'll make your life easy. I'll give you rest. I'll help you through it. But Jesus said, like, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Like, this world, is, we're just passing through here. There's no easy way into salvation. And for people, when they come to salvation, it's not like they flow into it. Like, life is fine, and then life gets even better because they just kind of float into heaven. There's really, like, this deep understanding of sorrow. Like, man, I am filthy and dirty. And then there's joy, of course, when we understand that even though I'm dirty and filthy. There's a way because Jesus lived the life that I could not live. We don't coast our way into heaven. We have to come to the place where we realize we are unworthy. We are worthy of condemnation forever. And we, like Peter's audience, were guilty of sinning against the perfect Savior. And because of that, we are object of God's wrath. And that wrath will either be poured out on us when we die apart from Christ, or it will be have, have been absorbed by Jesus through our repentance and our faith in Christ. And so the question for you this morning is this. Have you repented of your sin? Have you come to the place where you face the ugliness of who you are? You understand that your sin contributed to Jesus. Now, just because we're 2,000 years separated from this does not mean that, it, that we're innocent of this. Often we think of Adam and Eve. I remember thinking as a kid, like, oh, I would have never done that. I would have stayed with God. <laughs> we would have all done the same thing because of the evilness in our own heart. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the, of the world because God knew when he would bring people into creation that they would sin against him. And he had this plan from the get-go. We are all equally guilty. Have you repented? Do you understand how evil your heart is? And maybe you're one of those, like I mentioned earlier, who said a prayer, but there's been no change. Let me just tell you, you didn't repent. If your life does not look more and more like Jesus, something's not right. 
I don't say that to judge. Like, that's another thing that so many Christians say is like, we shouldn't judge one another. I'm like, all throughout Scripture, we're called to confront one another. It's confronting one another, not a judgment that we make based on what we see. It's not like we're witch hunts and going for, looking for sin in everybody and looking to destroy everybody. But certainly when we walk hand in hand with brothers and sisters of Christ and we see them slipping away, man, I want, when I get offline, I want my brothers and sisters to come to me and say, Ben, something's not right. If you do not look more and more like Jesus today than you did 10 years ago, you haven't repented. None of us can claim ignorance when it comes to who Jesus is. And because Jesus suffered due to our sin, we are called to repent. But praise God, Peter gives us some very encouraging words here in light of our repentance. And we see this in verse 19, second part. With repentance comes great promises. With repentance comes great promises. Look at verse 19 again. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. And so we see these promises of repenting, first of all, in verse 19. Our sins may be blotted out. Isn't that amazing? You know, one of the first things I put in my office was a big whiteboard. I love whiteboards. I love thinking on there. I love putting thoughts and realize that's not a good thought. And what can you do? Put a little spray, wipe it off, it's gone. You don't even remember it anymore. Christ comes through our repentance and he wipes out our sin. He takes it upon himself, places it on Jesus. He blots our sin out. What an amazing gift that is. The guilty are declared innocent, and the innocent one is declared guilty. Can you imagine the Jews? Those who were, like, especially, I'm sure there were some there who were right there in the front row cheering the crucifixion of Jesus on. And they've heard Peter's story. They saw this lame man come to life. They had watched that lame man, knew for sure that this was no trick that anybody could do. And he came to life, and then he realized it was done through the power of Jesus, the one whom he just participated in crucifying. Could you imagine the weight? He heard Peter call him out, the prophets that he said he listened to, loved, and read. And he had missed Jesus the whole time. And here he stands guilty of killing the perfect Savior. Oh, the weight he must have felt. But then Peter says, repent, and I'll plot those sins out. Isn't that amazing? None of us have probably murdered anybody, not that I know of. <laughs> Maybe we have in self-defense. But Jesus was killed completely innocent by us. And yet, the offer of having our slate washed clean is before us. Repentance is a beautiful gift from God. Not only that... With repentance comes a time of refreshing. Verse 20, times of refreshing may come from the presence of 
the Lord. Now, there are questions on what this refreshing means. Does it mean, like, when Jesus comes back again and, like, builds his kingdom and we live in glory with him forever? Some people would claim that. And there's also this sense of, like, we have times of refreshment now, don't we? Don't we walk through this life and going through some tough times, going through life, and yet here comes this wave, these waves of refreshment that come upon us. So we could argue on which one it means, but I think certainly we find it in both. And when we live our life with Jesus Christ, when we're carrying our own weight, I used to carry around my weight like crazy, carrying my sin with me. And then when I realized that Jesus came so that I wouldn't have to do that, he came not so that I would start measuring up. He came because he knew I couldn't measure up. He knew that I would still go on sinning. But he saves us because grace abounds more and more. And so have you felt the refreshment of God? I, I can remember times of just like fear just gripping me. Oftentimes just no, no understanding of it. And then calling out to people, asking for prayer, and then people sharing scripture, and then this wave of refreshment that comes, reminding myself, remembering of the promises of God that this earth is just passing through, that we're preparing a place. He's preparing a place for us in eternity. Our repentance brings us to a place where we no longer have to carry our sin around. Where now we have the Holy Spirit who comes and convicts and encourages us, reminds us of the scripture, the promises that we read in God's word, bringing life to our souls. Repentance brings us that. Repentance doesn't take away our fun. It actually helps us to understand where true joy comes from. It gives us times of refreshment. We also see this encouragement in verse 20. The second part there. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What do we see there? Through our repentance, it's closer and closer that Jesus will return. When the last elect repents of their sin, Jesus will come for us should be all the, motiv- all the more motivation for us, number one, to repent ourselves, but number two, to take the gospel to the end of the earth so that we can welcome Jesus in. And it will be time for him when the last Christian repents and place their faith in him. We will have Jesus with us. We will be with him in eternity forever. Anybody looking for that, longing for that? That's the promise of Repentance. So repent and call others to repent. But there's one more promise that we see here at the end of the book, end of this chapter, verse 26. Look at it. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What's a promise, a great promise that we get in repentance? Christ turns us away from our wickedness. As I think about why is it that we struggle to repent? Like we agree on all of these things, we agree on scriptural things, but like we struggle to repent. We struggle to turn away from our sin. And I think the main reason we do that is because we don't understand how wicked we are. 
I mean, isn't that what's going on? Like the scripture in Romans, we've suppressed the truth and we can't hear it coming in. And those who are out there who reject Jesus, they've suppressed the truth. It's there for them to see. And now you see the world going crazy, making up things that make no sense. Somehow we've lost our minds. Why? It's because we've suppressed the truth. It's our wickedness. It's our own hearts. And we don't see that. That's why we pray and we don't get mad when people don't respond to the gospel. We pray that their minds would be open, that the veil would be taken off so that they could see the wickedness of their hearts. That's what leads them to repent, right? You can't repent if you don't know how wicked you are. That's why so many people get saved and then they walk out. Why? Because they never repented because they didn't understand. They just wanted life to be easy. They didn't want to reject the things that they love, the sin that they love. They just wanted their life to coast and be a little bit easier than what it was for them. They don't see their wickedness. But let's just talk about that. How, what are some ways that we are wicked? We were talking about this with our kids last night and brought up the thing like, okay, so our wicked hearts want what we want and we don't want to share. If you have more than one kid, you know this is true. Or if you have only one kid and then you put them around another kid, (laughs) then you really find out. And the same is true for us adults, right? Like let's not think this is only a kid's thing, but we talk to the kids like, so how does life go for you when you receive a new toy and you just treat it as if it's yours and nobody else can have it, but then somebody comes and starts playing with your toy, how do you feel? How do you feel? You feel angry, right? Aggressive. Like you see the claws come out and the fangs, almost literally sometimes. Biting happens, you know, in the nursery. Hopefully that's not happening right now. That's the wickedness in us. It leads us. Now think about this way. When Christ comes and saves us and takes us away from that selfishness and we look at that toy and we treat it as if this is a gift from God, this is something for all to enjoy. Yes, it might be mine, but you know what? I don't care. Let's share it for everybody else. Then someone comes and plays with it. How do you feel? I feel great. Everybody gets to participate in that. We don't understand that. We don't see our own selfishness. That's why so many people reject Christ, because they don't see their wickedness. It is a gift of God when we are led to repentance. The reason why people don't truly come to Christ is because they don't truly see how wicked they are. And it is a blessing, it says here. It is a blessing when we understand our own wicked hearts. why communion today. Pondering the perfect Savior in light of my sinfulness even this week. How could he possibly forgive me? That's what brings joy to your worship. Understanding your sinfulness and then realizing that sinfulness was paid for on the cross. Unless sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. So if you are here today, you've never repented. The kindest thing I can think to tell you is that you have sinned against the holy God. And the wrath of God will be poured out on you unless you repent. But there's a way for you. Jesus, who is perfect in every way. The creator from the get-go. 
has always been here, will always be here. He came to earth, born of a virgin Mary, suffered as we suffer, tempted in every way yet without sin, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. He did that for you. He was declared guilty so that you might be declared innocent. Brothers and sisters, that's you this morning. Repent. Christians who have repented, my encouragement for you is once again be reminded of your great salvation. You're just as sinful today as you were back then, but God loves you just as much as he did back then as he does now. Let that fuel you as you think of your sin. Repent and trust that God forgives you and let his refreshment come over you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you repented of your sin? In the end, we will have no excuse when it comes to how we respond to Christ. We are all guilty in causing him to suffer and therefore we are all called to repent But with our repentance comes great promises. Our sins will be blotted out. We will experience times of refreshment. Christ will free us from our wickedness. And best of all, when the last Christian repents, Christ will come back for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for the way that you have loved us, God. When we were unlovable, at the right time, Christ died for us. Lord, I pray for believers here that we would be overjoyed, that we would turn our eyes to you daily, moment by moment, being overjoyed because we understand who we are, who we were apart from Christ and how you rescue us and how you still love us tomorrow even when we mess up tomorrow. And Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray that you would grant them repentance this morning, that you would take the veil off, that you would keep them from suppressing the truth, and that their eyes would see their wickedness and their selfishness, and Lord, they would come to see that you are glorious, that they would repent and find salvation in you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the suffering servant. Thank you for the gift of repentance you've given me. God, you are worthy of your name. You are worthy of your praise. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's sing in response.